Welcome everyone to another episode of On the Flight Line. I'm Marcus Gropel, and I'm very excited to welcome our guest on today's show. He is a pivotal member of the Lion Air Museum team. He oversees the archive department here. He also is a loadmaster for the B-17 sentimental journey from the Commemorative Air Force Arizona Air Base. And I'm also so glad and honored to call him our friend. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Bob Morrell. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me today. <laughs> so you're you're very you're a pivotal uh, team member here at Lion Air Museum. But first, let's talk about the beginning like where were you born were you are you a local californian or oh gosh <laughs> well i tell you i was actually uh, born in texas but my my father moved out here to california when i was the age of four and so i grew up and got all my education here in california oh wow so you know you've you know i'm reading here you've done so much volunteer work and stuff tell us a little bit Tell us a little bit more about your, yourself. Oh, okay. Well, well, as you mentioned, I am a docent here at Lion Air Museum. In addition to that, I also do the manager of the archive division. And I also am the educational coordinator where I help with the education here. In addition to that, I'm actually with the Commemorative Air Force, as you mentioned, where we restore and fly World War II planes. And I'm a crew member on the uh, sentimental journey, a flight crew member on the B-17 and the B-25. And I've been doing that all for about 18 years now, and I really enjoy that. So that's how I, my aviation is going, and I'm, I'm continuing that. Did that passion for aviation start at a young age, or did you just kind of get, as you went on in life, did you figure out, oh, aviation's kind of a nice thing <laughs> to be a part of, or was that from, like, when you were really young? Oh, okay, great. Well, I tell you, I got bit very early on that, because my father was actually involved with that. Uh, first, uh, first of all, I never had the privilege to serve, and I wish I did, but my father actually was in World War II, and he worked on the B-17s. And as the uh, war was winding down, he was anxious to come back home, but unfortunately he wasn't that lucky. He ended up getting shipped over to Okinawa and Iwo Jima to finish out the war. Mm -hmm. So he finished out the war over there, and he was with the Army Air Corps. And after that, he got married, started a family, and then the Korean conflict broke out. Mm -hmm. And he decided to enlist for another two years. So in a way, I'm kind of lucky to be here. Your, your father had served um, in the service. You know, what, can you uh, tell me a little bit more about his background? So he was in World War II and Korea? Both? Yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. And as a matter of fact, uh, he went to, uh, like everyone else in the greatest generation, he went ahead and enlisted at a very young age. In fact, he hadn't even graduated high school yet. Really? He left in his senior year to go and fight for his country, and he went ahead and enlisted immediately got sent over in the Army Air Corps working on the airplanes and things like that. Uh, upon his return back to the States, as I mentioned, he actually went back to school and finished out his education. Oh, good. So then he did, what did he do kind of after his did he do was he like did he do any type of career after the war oh yes well the aviation bug bit him early oh. as well <laughs> you know when he came back he actually went to work for um went to work for uh, a couple of aviation companies, North American Aviation at the time, which was really? brought up by Rockwell later on. Mm -hmm. And then he spent, I believe it was 38, 39 years there. And after, believe it or not, he got laid off after all that time. After 40, after that after much service, that time, laid off? At, but then again, he went to Northrop for a couple of mm -hmm. years, went uh, North American, wooed him back. So mm -hmm. he actually went back to Rockwell, North mm -hmm. American Rockwell at the time, and he finished out a career in aviation there. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So this aviation continued, right? Continued. For you, especially for you as yeah. well, right? All the way through the space program. When <laughs> mm. I was a kid, I'd always actually go to the open houses, and I can actually say I sat in one of the cockpits of one of the space shuttles. Oh. So, so as a kid, I was wow. uh, right in which there one? with him. I don't remember which one. I think it was one of the first ones that they did. One of the first ones. Oh, uh -huh. so one of the first, you know. And of course, all the Apollos, Apollos and things like mm -hmm. that. I was there for the open oh, houses wow. for that, too. So what was his position in the, in the service? Was he... Did oh, okay. He, yeah, he worked on the B-17s of ground crew on that, and then I actually uh, work on them and fix them and things like that when they came in all shot up. Mm, so then he would be the one that, so that's how, isn't that kind of how you kind of got started with yeah, doing the Yeah, that's how journey. I got started. As a matter of fact, when we were talking about the commemorative Air Force, there were a few or, uh, a few hangars that I could actually um, join. Mm -hmm. And this one that I joined was actually in Arizona. Everybody says, why do you go to Arizona when you live in California? Well, they had a B-17 there, <laughs> you know. And of course, just like everybody else my age, you know, you build models when you're young. And mm -hmm. one of the favorite models I had is a B-17. 17 I'd build with my father oh. and to this day I still love building them. <laughs> Did he have any type of stories that he told you? When you know that that's a funny thing to ask because um, just like everyone else that we have uh, relatives and fathers and things that were in the war very rarely do they say anything really? about that. Mm -hmm. They don't share any stories or anything like that. And you'll hear this from many people yes, they say yes. that and uh, I have actually learned more from uh, researching and friends and relatives than I have from my actual father. Even really? sitting down and asking him or asking him to do an mm -hmm. oral history, mm -hmm. uh, very reluctant to talk about it. And really? I'm sure he's probably seen some things over mm -hmm. there. That yeah, time. that's kind of, yeah. Memories are, yeah, are cause we have fond. Yeah, because we've had guests as well that were very much kind of secluded, didn't want to talk about certain things. And, we, you know, we have them here at Lion yes, Army Museum. Uh -huh, yeah, some of the docents don't, don't really talk about it. But, you know, their stories are so important, <laughs> but you know, but you know, so it's hard for them to kind of talk about it. But so when they do talk about it, it really is something, it's oh, a special story. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, I've had the opportunity to ask someone, a veteran, a certain question or something that triggered something in them, and then they start telling me the story, a story or two about what they did mm -hmm. or what circumstances they were, and it just so happens their relatives are with them, son or daughter, and things like that. And they tell me the whole story, and I look over at the son and daughter, and their mouths are wide open, say, we've never heard that. Really? Yeah. And I know. It's always a shock. when they. So your dad was like, was, was one of those where they would just be, would, they, would he talk about it, though, if you asked him, or would it be kind of just he would brush off the subject? Uh, kind of brush off the subject. He really didn't yeah I think he I think in those those uh, theaters he was in it wasn't a very pleasant experience mm -hmm. for him mm -hmm. go ahead sorry <laughs> I think that you find you'll find a lot of docents that have kind of a the same story as you you know Steve Byers mm. I mean he he went through his life searching for his dad's story his dad would right. never talk about it his dad was a, a turret gunner yeah on the mm -hmm. b-17 and he never talked about it right up Even until he like comes here and volunteers and finds that there are all these things that his dad would talk about that he will understand now right so mm -hmm. a lot of the docents probably have gone through what you went through yeah right. it's pretty cool <laughs> it's always that shock right when the, that you hear that story for the first time you're like Never heard that at all during while growing up and all that. By the way, that's that's producer Jade. Sorry, I don't think we've introduced you fully yet on the show. She's off camera. That's a, that's a, that's our producer Jade there. Did your dad decide that he wanted to re-enlist into Korea War? Yes, yes, he, he voluntarily re-enlisted. Right. And what did he do? 
uh, in, in the Korean War. Yeah. You know, uh, that's one thing I'm not exactly sure of. I know he was in Army Intelligence for a while, and he was actually in a MASH unit for a little while. But again, you know, I just haven't uh, had the opportunity to really yeah. know exactly where he was based or what he did. We had a docent do a podcast here where he, Dan Oldwich. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a World War II, and then he got called back to Korea War and was POW for three years. Oh. Yeah, wow. I don't know if there was any connection, you know. Such a small, small world yeah. aviation. Yeah, when it comes to aviation, story. yeah, it's very uh, small, tight knit community. So it's yeah. everything together, coming together. It's quite interesting, you know, the people you meet, you know. <laughs> no, it's fine. So those were, did he tell you kind of any like special stories? Did your dad ever tell you those? Like, whoa, he, the, uh, you know, B 17 came in and it was just, you know, this, you know, he, what he fixed and all that. Did he ever tell you those types oh, of stories? Or? He never really told me a detailed story. He may, he would make mention of one or two little things here and there when we were actually building the model and something brought, brought back. And one of them was, you know, the, the uh, side gunners on a B 17 when they would come in and the, all the shells were in between the ribs, how they would have to take um, shovels and uh, shovel the um, the shells out, mm-hmm. you know, the brass. But unfortunately, every time when you would shovel once in a while, you'd find a body part along oh. with that, something to that I effect. Know that, so yeah, again, is... you know, those sort of things jog those mm-hmm. kind of memories that he probably doesn't say too mm-hmm. much. Is your dad still with us currently at the moment? Yes, he's 92. With, he's still with us at 92 and as feisty as he was back then, <laughs> let me tell you. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you, get, you get it from him. <laughs> <laughs> always works like that so let's talk about you your you know you've been part of so when did you join lion air museum oh great i've been with lion air museum now for five years a happy five years, five years. i enjoy <laughs> doing what i do oh so you i we have i think just a list of what you do here you do the archive department yeah. and the school program let's talk a little bit about the archive so kind of what that does for the museum and what that and what people people's items kind oh. of how that goes so let's okay. talk about how that process well is. great and i'm so glad we are talking about that because the archive uh we do accept donations here um a variety of donations we stick to the uh air aviation when we can but mm-hmm. there are some things that come in things too and uh donations mean a lot to people mm-hmm. there are materials that come in that was from their loved ones their relatives their fathers things to that effect and what we do we have a system of uh documenting um documenting and storing historical items and we do research on those too and we have a wide variety of items all the way from parts to airplanes to uh, individuals that we actually um, will document and have a and have a collection of and collection of things during that wartime Mm -hmm. on that and there are so many things that come in and so many things tell so many stories all the way from a little pin that was on someone's lapel of Mm -hmm. what they did all the way up to an airplane part that was a historical plane at that particular time so um there's so much to uh so much to to tell and to do but every item that comes in is Mm -hmm. meaningful Mm -hmm. it's meaningful to the person donating Mm -hmm. it's meaningful for the aviation community and it's meaningful to us oh i know we've seen the you know we've seen i've seen some of the donations that come through and these are really really cool little items do you have like a favorite item that's from the archive yes gosh and i i couldn't even pick a, a half a dozen of my favorites because there's so many but one of them that stands out is um it is a mahogany carved model of the flying wing made in 1930 it was actually custom made for jack northrup to do wind testing in the tunnels it's got hinges on it 
and it's uh, a small scale, um, uh, but it uh, measures, I'd say, oh, about 36 inch wingspan mm -hmm. on it. And but it was made specifically for Jack Northrop, really? and we actually have documentation. Wow. That, you know. I know I've seen it in person. There is a yeah. video on it as well. <laughs> yeah, we have so. on our, our YouTube page. But so that's just so cool because it is an exact scaled model. Right. And, so. and again, it was a historical purpose. It was made for him to do something with that flying mm -hmm. wing. Uh, we have some that were donation for donated for individuals, their life story, their um, their pins, their ribbons, their uniforms, their pictures, things like that. And a veteran, it'll tell a whole story about a veteran. Recently, we just got a donation from someone that was actually in World War One, And World War we, I. Have, we have a medal that was given to him in World War One. We have his flight helmet, the leather flight helmet. Really? <laughs> yeah, that was just recently. There was, no, was it leather flight, so there really was no protection, right? It was just a leather. Was leather, <laughs> just like you see in the, in the movies. In the movies. Yes, uh -huh. Wow. Leather and goggles. Is that the that first World War One item that we you have received? A, we have a few World War One oh, okay. items, yeah. Because it's um, very hard to come by. Yeah, that is too. definitely hard to come by. Wow. Um, but we have a, a wide variety of items, and we, and we welcome them. Mm -hmm. Have you counted how many you pieces We yet? have over 750 items that were donated wow. to the Lion Air Museum at this point mm -hmm. and growing. And growing. It still yeah. keeps going, right? It, of it course. It keeps growing. We just need a growing room to go with it. <laughs> we'll knock a wall down. We'll try. <laughs> we'll fix it. <laughs> so you are also involved with the archive department, but you are also involved with the education of, of Lion Air Museum's education program. Yes. And uh, you've helped really square away, develop it, ma and make it what it is today, right? So can you tell us a little bit how you're educating the future aviators. Oh, okay, great. Twofold, really. Mm -hmm. The first of all is um, my commitment to the commemorative Air Force. I'm fortunate enough to be part of a uh, flight crew to those bombers I mentioned, the B-17, B-25. We tour the country from May through October. So I have an opportunity to go through cities throughout the country and I've been them with about 18 years now doing that mm -hmm. and I've had I've had a great opportunity to go out and meet people meet veterans people that lived during that time historians people that had relatives doing that so I've had an opportunity to really get a full education of what it was like and who was doing what out there that gives me the chance to actually pass that on to other people that come and mm -hmm. enjoy the museum or the airplane and things like that so a flying museum has given me the opportunity to do quite a bit and right. to educate the public as well mm -hmm. every so often we'll get a relative that someone that has a relative that was in the war or flew in an airplane and they really don't know what they did or mm -hmm. they didn't know the position they were in or they didn't know what it was like and we as docents have an opportunity to tell them what it was like mm -hmm. based on what other uh, veterans have told us mm -hmm. and tell them that the, their relative or father that you know had this position under these circumstances under mm -hmm. these conditions and it just woos them you know so we have a chance to pass that along mm -hmm. on that and it's different when you see it firsthand especially like with the b-17 you, you see it in person and you see that these are where you know the the soldiers in the air force stood during mm -hmm. that time, 35,000 feet in the air, really cold in this tight little metal tube. Right. And for them to be able to experience that, hear the stories, it's really, really, it makes, it's a special meaning to those right. types of people. On that aspect. The other aspect I have is the Lion Air Museum itself. Mm -hmm. We have a fantastic program here at Lion Air Museum, twofold. Mm -hmm. now, the first one is, well, we deal exclusively with a school district here, local school district here. And we have a program that involves other docents and stations, and we have over 2,000 students visit us 
parts just on that program alone wow. throughout the throughout the school year. We also have an additional two thousand about two thousand students come through our museum with other field trips, other schools, other districts, and again we have very. Um, Ex expert educated docents that will actually take them through and educate all these young people during that during that time so we've had a chance to build on that and it's continuing to build we've had other organizations come to us and say how do you do this and what do you do and we've had an opportunity to show them and shine um, but that is one of our major and my personal uh, major passion as well is to educate not only the public but to educate and inspire young people as well Anything else you wanted to add for that education for Lion Air Museum? Yeah, Sorry. you know what? Uh, on the education part, one of my major goals, and our major goal really, is to inspire, uh, to set goals, to act, to do things to acquire those goals. And when we talk about inspiring, it's not only just uh, students, but it's it's young people, it's other people that uh, get involved. Um, to actually spark interest and get people going on different things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be aviation, but mm -hmm. it's exciting and mm -hmm. get them excited about that. Um, one of the things I love to share with uh, students especially is the women's role during World War II. Mm -hmm. Because um, we don't think about that that much, but when you think about that is that if you look at women's role during that particular time, they went way out of what they normally do. They went, they took on roles they never took on before. They became, went into workforce and became doctors and lawyers, factory workers. There were women that built airplanes, tanks, and subjected to the war effort on that. We had women pilots. Women pilots would ferry different aircraft to different parts of the country so the men could actually take those into war. So they weren't specialized in one aircraft. They had to get multi-aircraft classifications on that. Mm -hmm. And they developed the WASP program, which was very famous during World War II. As a matter of fact, the one story I really love to tell the students to inspire them that there are things that they can do is the B-29 story, where there were actually two women that were specifically trained on a B-29 to fly to different parts of the countries and to show the men that were leery about flying that plane because of the problems that it had early in its development, that it was a safe and reliable plane. And these pilots would see those women flying and say, we can do that. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times students, well, the, women, uh, the girl students' faces light up. And just like Rosie the Riveter said at mm -hmm. one time, we can do it. Yes. <laughs> You know, and it's inspiring for them because they, you know, absolutely. They, you know, it's it, especially at the ages that you know we have the school kids coming. It's at a time when they don't know really what they want to do yet, and mm -hmm. they're or they're still trying to think about what. So it opens up that kind of new door, and with that passion right. for aviation. Right. So it's it's interesting to see, you know, because I've sat in a couple of those school tours as well, yeah. and to see the kids, you know be excited to know you know and keep that history going I think that's what I think is the best message to send when they leave Lion. Absolutely and all it takes is a word or two to, to spark it you know mm -hmm. and it and it isn't even just all students I mean it could be someone walking into the uh, walking into the museum and one of our docents or one of our veterans are talking to them and it's that one sentence or that one word that it clicks for them and it inspires them and you can just see it in their eyes lighting that fire <laughs> and again setting goals get working toward those goals and accomplishing your goals and getting your dreams mm -hmm. so that's a big part of education couple had come into the museum they're about I think 17 18 16 or something like that and they say oh I had come here when I was in in middle school 
for a, a school tour mm-hmm. and i was like oh that's really cool we're talking talking and he's like yeah i'm now now getting my pilot's license oh and i was like oh i was like was it was there anything that inspired you and they're like oh it was that the program when they went around to those four different stations it inspired him to get his pilot's license so for you to know that the education (laughs) program is working it's inspiring people so it's it's nice to see it because they were once what was it 10 year olds nine year olds or something like that in in middle school and for them now they finally chose their path to go get a pilot's license and fly commercial airplanes or something (laughs) like that so just to let you know that you know it is working people are inspired And share know, their stories yeah, and be excited and, about and be helping proud other of that. people, mm-hmm. so as they should. Mm-hmm. So let's expand a little bit on your commemorative Air Force kind of. So kind of what you do with them, with the, with the because I know you're you're a crew chief on the B seventeen. Can you kind of give us a little bit of like a overview of kind of what you're what you do on a regular basis oh, with the B-17. Okay, great. Well, twofold. Well, first of all, please let me uh, excuse me, but I have to correct you on the crew chief. I'm oh, not crew, a crew chief. chief. Okay, you're not crew um, chief. What they call a load master. A load master. Okay. okay. Yeah, crew chiefs would are, 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 have a great function on that. So, mm-hmm. I would never take credit for something <laughs> like that. But I'm um, well, I'm um, what uh, there's two things I do with the commemorative air force. First, when I mentioned I was on the flight crew, I'm on the flight crew as a load master. Mm-hmm. And what a load master does, I brief the passengers. We have revenue flights where passengers can buy a ride on a, a B-17 or a B-25 or other aircraft, but I'm classified on both of those. And they'll they'll buy seats, so my job would to be keep, keep them safe in the air. Uh, but also, too, uh, I brief the passengers on that, keep them safe in the air. They do get to actually move around in flight, but I'm also uh, a trained observer uh, in the back of the plane, too, looking for smoke in the engines, oil, any aircraft coming near, you know, call out different things, constantly on the headphones, uh, listening to the the pilots and the crew chief, calling up the gear, things to that effect. So I have dual function on that. Um, So I'm a trained flight uh, crew member on that. We get trained every year. We go out on tour every year. I'll do anywhere from two to four to five tours a uh, wow. a, a summer mm-hmm. on, those, on those airplanes. Long weekends, huh? So, <laughs> yes. And a tour will consist of two to four weeks. So you sign up two to four weeks and do wow. those. Mm-hmm. Wow, so that's I'm, interesting. So I'm in the air as much as I can. <laughs> that's good really though, right? You get to continue. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I do is I'm a ground, co- uh, ground crew coordinator. And what that entails is that uh, we have a ground crew as well as a flight crew and all the logistics that go to that hotels cars museums um, oil fuel all those things are, have to be coordinated and i'm going to be a lead coordinator for that so when we reach a site for a week or two you know mm-hmm. then all those things i court i help coordinate all that they are set up in advance through contracts mm-hmm. but i actually on the ground make sure all that happens so you're kind of like that day of person when <laughs> they gotta go everything yeah. has to go right <laughs> i'm the go i'm the go-to guy and we have a variety of those i also am responsible uh for uh training those uh those people as well so we have a crew of about 22 uh, of those uh, ground crew coordinators that we have and uh, i run a, a school for them and i train them and send them out as well oh wow so, so then you're you're I continuing everything yeah coordinate <laughs> the coordinators wow so you've been here now for five years did you have you had any type of you know story that really 
inspired you, whatever, whoever you met through our doors here? Oh, gosh. You know, there are so many stories. There, there are just so many people that have come by and, and done some things, both here at the Commemorative Air Force and the Lion Air Museum. Uh, it's hard to pick one, um, but, but I, I, one does really stand out uh, to me, and it was at the Commemorative Air Force, actually. I was uh, working on it uh, with the B-25. We were out on tour, and we had people that come by and uh, see the aircraft and do rides, and we happened to sell, um, we had a ride set up, um, and the plane wasn't full. Anyway, we had this uh, gentleman come out on a walker with his family, World War II veteran. He was on a B-25, and he went to tell me uh, a story about it and things, and of course, you listen, you're all excited about that, and his family's there listening as well. And he told me this story that about, uh, he was on a B-25, he was flying what they called the hump, the over in China, the, the delivering cargo and things, and through the Himalaya Mountains, mm -hmm. and he was a navigator. And uh, they were starting to lose an engine on a B-25. You only have two of them. Two of them, yeah. So um, they were in trouble. And the pilot said to him, find a place for me to land. Get me out of this thing. Mm -hmm. And it was all on him. Really? And he got thinking, gosh, what do I do? And he's out with the maps and doing this and that and doing his best. Finally, he finds, he finds something, tells the pilots that it's going to be risky, you know. But they went ahead and went for it. And he was telling me that on those way down, he was praying. And he said, God, if you get me out of this, I will never get in an aircraft again. So, long story short, they made it. Mm -hmm. They landed all safe, all survived, you know. Mm -hmm. And he held to his word. His family told me that he never got on a commercial aircraft or anything his entire life. And he was in his 90s at this point. Mm -hmm. And all the places they travel, all the things he did, he went by car. Would never get on an airplane, you know. And pilot came up to me and says, we're getting ready to go. You know, I got, uh, I said, okay. And I took a look at the manifest and I said, oh, I got an empty seat. So I went up to the veteran and I said, sir, um, I know you made that promise, but I have an empty seat in front of the B-25 if you'd like to take it to be our guest. And the first thing he said, and excuse the French, hell yes. <laughs> and his family's jaws just dropped. Oh, <laughs> and by gosh, he got on that B seventeen, and we mm -hmm. took him for a ride. Oh, probably wow. his farewell last ride. Then, uh -huh. But it was first and foremost since the war. Oh. but we got him on a B twenty five and got him around. Oh, down wow. safely. So from ear to ear, <laughs> oh. he was smiling from ear, and his family was in total shock. They had, they didn't think he'd ever get on any aircraft, let alone another B twenty five. Yeah. seventy years later. Wow. So. But to see their faces, it's so different oh. because you see it in their eyes that uh -huh. they haven't been on a plane like this in so, in forever. Yeah. And to, for them to come up to just to bring back the memories of what it was when mm -hmm. they were there. The it, sound, the, the feel, sound, the uh -huh. smell, all mm -hmm. of those things. It's all unique and very specific. Yeah. Like you can't describe it because yeah. it's, you know, and, and really, you know, I recommend really if you want to, experience history to take a flight on a, <laughs> on a plane like that because it really is once in a lifetime and I, I think you know it's different and it, you know it's not your like your commercial airplane oh, I, it's so different yeah, so, yeah. and you you see it you hear it everything is you know you feel everything yeah yeah we we had an opportunity to go with Bob on the b17 sentimental journey about a month ago yeah and sure that did. was just it's just uh, unexplainable yeah to, and to think those guys 
did that when they were like 16, 17. Yeah, about you know? 18, 19 years this old. I mean, at 22, a pilot of piloting the B-17 with ten, responsible for 10 crew members. Mm-hmm. I mean, us kids, were when we were 21, we were not doing that. <laughs> you know? So that's no, why they yeah. were called like the greatest generation. Because Mm-hmm. And you're doing a lot to preserve that greatest generation yes. too oh, by doing yeah. what you do Absolutely. with the B-17 and what you're doing here, preserving that for the with next, the, the future aviators. Yeah. It really is, you know, it's a, it is a, going back to the, the ride. It, it is a once in a lifetime thing and there's no words to describe how the feeling it, it was to hear those four engines right. start up. And, and here we are. All of us. We think about that, and we experience that, and, and we say, what it was like. Just imagine the veterans that I do get those rights. To them, mm-hmm. it brings them back to where they were. It's real to them. Mm-hmm. That gentleman we just talked about right now, I'm sure when he was in the air, he was back in the Himalayas. You know. So those guys, it was very real to them. It brings back some reality. Was it the Himalayas where the hump was yes, how uh-huh. they flew that over those to get some the the C forty seven the home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are some crazy stories. Yes, I know. Very dangerous if oh, yeah. you're a pilot and know where to uh, how to pilot that. It's especially, extremely dangerous, yeah. especially weather, in that area yeah, too. The weather, the mm-hmm. elevation, the air, all those things. Mm-hmm. Wow, crazy. You mentioned one thing. You yes. mentioned the greatest generation. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to just comment on that here because one of the things we do, uh, all of us as docents and museums and the aviation community, the Warbird mu- uh, community as a whole, is we, we honor the greatest generation. But when we say gener- greatest generation, we don't exactly mean just veterans themselves. You know, When you think of a gen- greatest generation, we get that term a lot. It really is truly a generation that was great. Because you had sons, you had mothers, uh, you had fathers, you had even children that had to uh, think get more independent because their fathers were off to war and mothers were in factories. So you had everyone for one cause. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever had the opportunity to, to speak someone that lived that generation mm-hmm. who's in their 90s mm-hmm. now, um, I encourage you to do so because you're going to hear some amazing stories, not only just from the combat or mm-hmm. from the field, uh, but stories of what it was like here at the home front, what we had to do. What was it like being a kid growing up during that time when father's off and mother's mm-hmm. in factories and you and your school is different? They teach you very different things and you're doing different things for the war effort. What was it really like to live in another country, maybe one of the countries that was going through the war, war torn things so the whole generation itself is what we're talking about here and what's amazing to me when I'm out there or here at Lion Air Museum on the floor talking to people and I get the opportunity and the privilege to talk to these people is that um, everyone I talk to in that generation doesn't consider themselves as heroes you hear that all the time yes they said oh it's just a job Mm-hmm. You know, it was something we had to do at the time, mm-hmm. and we did it. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone pulled together and did that, mm-hmm. but none of them ever think themselves as heroes. Yes, and uh, that that's unique. That's unique, and that's why I think that we should preserve and continue, to, uh, not only to honor but to educate about that generation, that time in history, uh, of all those things. Not only the sacrifices and the lives and things that 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 they went through but what it means to us today and what it means to us in the future. Very good point, I think, yeah. 
What do you see as far as the future for preserving the greatest generation? Oh, gosh. You know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge now because not only are we losing those people in the greatest generation who are in their 90s and things like that, but the people... Um, the sons and the, uh, the sons and daughters they have, which are now baby boomers, you know, are getting older and, and they're more uh, declining in health and things like that. And they're trying to preserve it as much as they can. Younger generations on that, um, because of today's technology, um, uh, may not be as interested in the beginning of it. Um, but it's our responsibility to continue that education and to hand it down. And hopefully it handed down uh, in, in different aspects of it and for them not only to enjoy what we have today including our freedom um, but to keep developing and building on that because they sacrificed a lot for us it's our responsibility to continue that mm -hmm. that's what we try to do here at the museum mm -hmm. every day we live it <laughs> keep the greatest generation alive mm -hmm. you know and yeah the the goal every time that like a kid walks through the museum is always for them to leave with something more than what they came in with. Yes, yeah, so. absolutely, Definitely. that's the goal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so. you know, we are losing our veterans, you know, our World War II Gosh. guys, fortunately, but you know, the, the ones that we still have, they're so, their stories always oh, are, are amazing, amazing to listen to. Amazing, And you know, it, it's hard, you know, one day, you know, we won't be able to, to say, you know, to see them anymore. And I think that's gonna be a, a sad day you know, kind it's of. Our mission, though. Yeah. It's our mission. Our mission to keep it going. Yes, we'll keep it going. <laughs> we'll make sure it keeps going. <laughs> oh, I hope. So, in summary, I, I got to say, I love what I do here at Lion Air Museum and with the Commemorative Air Force uh, to honor, to educate, and to inspire. And I think we should all have that as a goal as well. Oh. Yeah, you know, before we end the show, you know, I just I just wanted to thank you really for everything that you've done for the museum. Oh, well. And of course, you know, preserving that greatest generation, keeping it going for our future aviators. And, and you know, me, Jade, and the whole team, you know, they're so thankful to have you on board, you know. <laughs> How do we get so lucky to have you, you know, and join us in all this kind oh, of craziness well. that we do here? <laughs> I got to tell you, it, it, it's a privilege. I think the shoe's on the other foot. I'm very happy to be here. And I'm really glad I have the opportunity for you to have me here. Oh, and I'm, so we're glad. I'm glad that you, you know, took the time out of your, your busy schedule, really, because I know you're flying right to Arizona. I'm or going out to Arizona really soon, yep. and you mm -hmm. you know make time out of your busy schedule to come over and get and talk with us. So it's really, I really thank you for that. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe on all your favorite apps. This has been Marcus Gropel with On the Flight Line. Till we meet again, and blue skies to you. <laughs> <laughs>